Welcome to The Table. You are listening to the Kingstown Communion podcast with lead pastor Michelle Matthews. The Kingstown Communion is a new United Methodist Church existing to gather people into communion with Jesus Christ through courageous conversation, creative community, and collaborating for the common good. For more information about upcoming events and opportunities to serve, visit our Facebook page, facebook.com forward slash Kingstown Communion. We're glad that you're listening along with us. If you live close by, we hope you'll join us for worship in person. And if you ever feel so inclined to help us by giving financially, you can do so on our website, kingstowncommunion.net. church. I had coffee with him recently and um, he said that he has taken up recently later in his life fishing and he said before he took up fishing though he had a complete contempt for fishing. He said I've got way better things to do. (laughs) I've got way better things to do with my valuable time in life than sit on some bank weighing on some creature with a brain the size of a pea to make my day. I don't have the patience for it and I thought I always hated fishing. But on his 60th birthday he got a fly fishing rod and perhaps 60 is the perfect time to take up fishing when life slows down a little bit and you start to have more time for sports and because it requires a whole lot of sitting and waiting fishing does this is why retirees love it right lots of sitting and waiting isn't that what you retired to do he said though to his surprise he ended up loving it there was a lot to learn he loves learning new things He even got a rig and started um, tying some of his own flies. And he found that kind of to be true, what they say, that trout live in some of the most beautiful places of the world. He began planning his travel schedules around fishing now, the guy who had a complete contempt for fishing, where he could, you know, revolve his his schedule around unfamiliar mountain streams and wading into marsh. Plan his whole trip around finding these fish. But the thing that he said most impresses him about fly fishing is it does not matter how good you are at it, how long you have been doing it, It is this practice every time in failure. Because like in the early early morning, you go out and you haul all this gear there. 
and you're so full of hope and expectation, and you get pretty good at casting and and presenting the fly, and you work, you know, a, a well, you bring a well-stocked box of fly patterns with you, and yet as the sun goes down that evening, you have so little to show for it every single time. He said he's in, he was embarrassed to admit even, um, he's not here today, but he said he's embarrassed to admit that he even traveled all the way to Montana one time and like got a guide that was supposed to show him the best, the best streams there were and show him how to fish there. And after two full days of fishing, he had caught one pitiful little trout. He's, if you're going to be a fisherman, you better get really good at failure. You better get a really good idea of failure. The funny thing is, though, when I started ministry, um, everyone, who, everyone who knew I was starting ministry said generally the same thing to me. Um, if you're going to begin pastoral ministry, I assure you, if you have any kind of passion or vision for the church at all, if you have high expectations of yourself and your ministry, then you better get really, really, really good at handling failure. It's a, it's a rather odd message to hear as we walk these great 50 days that the church calls Eastertide together between Easter and Pentecost. We are presented in the days just after Easter a gospel lesson that is just so chock full of failure. Easter is the joyful victory, right? The joyful victory of God, not the sad defeat. And yet defeat permeates this morning's gospel. Gospel meaning good news, and yet our story is full of bad news of failure for these disciples. With this, this Sunday's lesson, we come to the very end of John's gospel, and, and failure permeates this story. First of all, there is the apparent or assumed failure of Jesus and his mission. Has it failed? The walk with, the walk with Jesus seems to have ended terribly. The disciples have trudged back to what they were doing before Jesus had ever called them to be his disciples now. They are just back to fishing. Maybe they didn't know what to do with themselves. After standing by and watching Jesus humiliatingly crucified on Friday, they're just like, it's over. Back on the road as Jesus's movement gains momentum, they had hopes that he was Indeed, the anointed one, the Messiah, who would redeem Israel, but Jesus had failed. Like, you can't fight City Hall. The people turned against us. The Romans had all the arms and all the power. There's nothing left for us to do, and so we might as well just go back to fishing. It's odd that that John has given us accounts of the risen Christ appearing to these people, to the disciples, when they were behind locked doors, spoken to them, appeared to them, 
And their collective response is, which is going to go back to fishing. You must be really, really dull person to walk away from a resurrection, to have been personally met by the risen Christ and still go back to the thing you were doing before it all. But honestly, as I, as I am here with you today, this Sunday, after, you know, a couple weeks after our grand celebration where everyone came and all the seats were full, are we much different than these disciples? They went back to fishing, and their fishing was not much better than their discipleship. A group of disciples have been fishing all night, it says in this story, and they have not caught a thing, which is a pretty good, a pretty good symbol for their discipleship. Their empty nets must have seemed like this symbol of how they felt about their faith, empty, failures, defeated. Peter, the lead disciple, is among the group, and Peter personally embodied their collective failure in himself. Back in the upper room, Peter had promised he would remain steadfast to stand with Jesus, even when the, the going got really rough. And you know how long that lasted. Peter ended up denying Jesus three times and breaking down in tears at the failure of his own resolve. Know that when, when Peter denied Jesus in, in the courtyard in the middle of the night when the maid had questioned him about his faith and who he knew, Peter was not so much denying Jesus as he was denying that he was ever a disciple. With his repeated denials, he certainly doesn't, doesn't act at all like one. But now here at the end, Jesus comes to Peter and Jesus seeks him out and recalls him today in our scripture. Even as Peter has denied Jesus three times, Jesus calls him three times. Did you notice the three times? Calls him to love him and then commissions him, giving him the assignment of feeding his beloved sheep. In spite of all of Peter's past failure, Jesus puts Peter in charge of his flock asking him to to attend and feed and keep the sheep of jesus's pasture peter denied jesus three times back in the dark twilight of that dark friday and now three times jesus asked peter do you love me and three times peter answers in the affirmative yes 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 i love you i don't i jesus is not as much quizzing Peter as, as repeating his question in order to reassure him. When he asks, do, do you love me? <coughs> Jesus seems confident that the answer is already yes. <coughs> though Peter has disappointed himself, though Peter has disappointed the Lord and failed at being the perfect disciple, his love for Jesus is sure. <coughs> Just because you dearly love Jesus does not mean that you will not disappoint yourself and disappoint Jesus. Yet, 
The important thing is that Jesus returns to Peter. And Jesus calls him and commissions him. And this whole story, it concludes with this curious prediction of Peter's death. One day, Peter, the one who had once denied his Lord, and then the one who was forgiven and recalled to be the disciple by the Lord, one day you would eventually die for the Lord. Peter, the failure, the one who was charged by Jesus with tending the sheep, who were also all failures, would succeed as a martyr, <coughs> that is, a, as a witness to Christ. Peter would prove in the end, completely steadfast and faithful to Jesus' invitation. Follow me. <coughs> and so Eastertide, Eastertide with Jesus, this season that we're in right now, the days after the resurrection, is not simply moving with Jesus into eternity and not Jesus taking us into eternity, Jesus concludes with those words ringing in our ears, follow me. I think there's a lesson here in this account of Jesus breakfasting with his disciples on the beach. Sorry if you thought Easter and the risen Christ meant that Jesus has thereby erased all discouragement Sorry if you thought Easter and the risen Christ means that Jesus has therefore erased all frustration and failure from the world and from your life. Still, even after Easter, even after, <coughs> even after the resurrection, Christ comes and stands right in front of us. It's still possible, even then, to misunderstand, to fall away, to allow the everydayness of life, the dull, the dull, reassuring routine of life to overcome our joy of the miracle of Easter. <coughs> and yet the good news is that Jesus does not just let it be doesn't let it be. He comes to us where we are. He seeks us out amid the dull, numbing routine of everyday life two weeks after the big celebratory moment. And he speaks to us and reassures us and once again calls us, follow me. Jesus won't let us just walk away. Won't, won't let us walk away from him or his resurrection won't let us just shrug our shoulders and go back to an everyday routine. He comes to us. The risen Christ appears to us. He not only appears to us, he, he calls us. That's what we see in the story of Peter. That despite our failure, he appears to us, he calls us, and commissions us. What he expects you to do varies with each of us. But the command is all the same, follow me.
<laughs> Would you pray with me? God, whether we've gone fishing or whether we've decided to enter ministry or whatever way in life we have experienced the holy virtue of failure, we know it, we laugh at it, and, and yet each of us, each of us has that thing That makes us feel guilty, rebuked, <laughs> unworthy about us when we come into a space like this. Each of us has that thing, whether it's what others have told them, social norms, or it is really deep down shame that has been there since the very beginning. Each of us has that thing when we come in your presence, God where we feel often like failures and who, God, how could you use us? And today's story reminds us that even though we fail, you meet us, you call us, and you commission us to follow. In your hands, God, you take our failure and you turn it and say, you will do greater things than I will do. You take our failure and then you call us the rock and say, I'll build my church on you. And so, God, we lay aside our shame and our failure or whatever people have told us or whatever we've assumed about our abilities and our character, our capacity to love and serve you. We lay that aside and we hear your call to follow today. If we have not heard it, if we have not responded to it before now, we hear it right now. And we say, of course, Lord, of course, you know, you know I love you. We join together in that prayer that you called us and told us to pray over and over again with Jesus. Our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our trespasses, as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom, and the power, and the glory, 